about those things, maybe? Uh, it's, okay. it's okay to do that, especially if you're going to come to church on Sunday. I think that's good. I am super excited about today. Wasn't worship amazing, guys? Like, I, there's not a lot, not, you guys should have been a lot more excited about that, but I'm like, I, I, there's certain Sundays where I'm like, I don't even need to preach. Like, let's just keep doing this. Like, I, you guys are probably feeling that too, so I'm going to try and do my best because I think the Spirit's already moving and working and um, I love, like, we just have such a lack of talent in the worship area here at Grace Marietta. Like, if, if we could just get some more folks to help out, and it's am- like every week, God's just, oh, it's so good, so good. Um, we're starting a new series. Uh, it's called Investing in the Promise, and we're going to be walking through the life of Moses. Uh, I've been really excited about this for like three or four months. Uh, I've been really fired up about just like, like talking about what we want to really dive into is, is spiritual leadership. Like what does it look like for us to partner with God to, to, to redeem what's been broken, to take back what hell has stolen? What does it look like for us to become spiritual leaders? Uh, and, and I think it's a topic that relates to everybody. It relates to us corporately because there are corporate things that we are doing as a church right now that have me so excited, that I'm so fired up about, and that we're going to need spiritual leadership for. Like, we need to be able to hear from God. We need to be able to discern where he's calling us. We need to be wise and, and faithful and, and step into the things that he's asked us to do at the times that he's asked us to do it. But I also believe that what God is doing is he's stirring up dreams and visions in the hearts of all of us. As individuals. And so I never want to become the type of church that says, we're calling you to dream corporately, but we're not calling you to dream individually. I believe that the church is an equipping organization. And the greatest thing that we can do for you is equip you to follow God in your everyday life. It's to train you to hear his voice and respond, to listen and obey, to walk in faith every single day. And so from the moment that this church launched, we've been praying that this church would become a dream factory, that we would awaken kingdom dreams, that God would begin stirring up dreams, not just from the leadership and not just things that we would do corporately, but from the congregation, that dreams would come forth, that new organizations would start, that new ministries would be birthed, that new vision would step forward, and that God would break through in Cobb County. And we're starting to see the first fruits of that. We're starting to see amazing things happen. We're starting to see house churches that are taking on leadership and carrying mission out into our community and are serving and loving and blessing and caring for the schools in the area and and, and for, for, for the people who need in this area and who have mercy needs and benevolence needs and all of those different things. Every single week, our church is blessing people in ways that you guys don't even see. And there's also dreams that are being started. I love, I keep having coffee with people and, and the story's always the same. Like we showed up and we just felt the Holy Spirit was here and, and now we think God's stirring in our hearts for us to start this thing and we're not quite sure how to start it, but could you help or could we talk about it or could we pray about it and is there a way the church could partner with you? And the answer is always yes and amen to all of those things. I was, uh, I was 20 years old when I tricked a church into hiring me for the first time. Um, and paying me money. I, I, I remember it really, really clearly. I remember walking in, and I, I was in Bible college at that time, so I was taking classes about how to be a minister and what being a pastor looked like and all of those things. I was learning lots of tips and tactics and techniques about ministry. I was taking a preaching class at that time, so I was learning how to preach. I was taking like a Christian ministries course, which was like, how do you do a funeral or how do you do a wedding? Or how, I was learning all of these like tactics. I was reading like 
John Maxwell's 47 laws of how to be a leader or whatever. Like he's got, he just, he's got numbers and laws and rules and it's all about leadership. And so I, like the leadership section at Amazon is huge, right? There's all kinds of books that you can find on management or on leadership and on all of these different things. And I had just devoured everything I could on leadership because I wanted to be a good leader. And and I remember walking into this space, and we, we had this gym, and it was like a, like a barn, but it was a gym, and then on the back end of it, there was a, a loft, and in the loft, that's where the students met. And it was this big space, and we had a sound system, and music was blaring, and, and I showed up for my first night, and I prayed with all the adults that were there, and, and I walked in, and there were 250 junior high kids running everywhere. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with this. Because you guys know, like, junior high girls are the meanest mammals on the planet. Like, <laughs> there is no one more vicious than a junior high girl. And, and, like, junior high boys, they're not brushing their teeth or showering, right? <laughs> so, like, you're walking into this space. Nobody looks back on junior high fondly either, right? Like, everybody looks back on college and is like, oh, I'd go back to college in a second. I loved college. There's nobody that's like, you know where I'd like to go? I'd like to be a seventh grader again. Like, nobody ever says that. It's, it's this awkward phase where we don't know who we are, and we're trying to figure out who we are, and we smell a little bit, and there's acne everywhere, and we don't understand our bodies, and we don't understand our minds, and we're just a, a big, giant mess. Uh, and I walked into that space, and, and I really quickly had a realization, and the realization was this. I knew some tips and tactics and techniques of leadership, but I did not know how to spiritually lead. Like, I had read the book. Like, I knew some facts about leadership. But I did not know how to partner with the Holy Spirit to get breakthrough in these children's lives. And so I started just reading everything I could on spiritual leadership. I started, like, asking everybody in the world, like, I think there's a deeper place to go here than just tips and tactics and techniques. I think there's a deeper source than the 45 irrefutable laws. I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm not making fun of the laws. Like, they're good laws. They're, I, I love those books. But there's a deeper place to go in all of these things. And I started journeying into discovering, like, what does spiritual leadership look like for me? How does it look for me to partner with God for the redemption of our community? What does it look like for me to step into the places that he's invited me to step into? What does it look like for me to learn to take my cues from him and not just from best practices? What does it look like for me to trust in his wisdom and in his words and in his guidance and his, his, his leading rather than trusting in my own competence or my own skills or my own abilities, which were very limited at that time? And so I want us to dive into the life of Moses, and I want us to talk about how do we get to that deeper place? How do we get to that place where we're not just depending on our own strengths and our own abilities and our own competency, but we're actually learning to lean in to the power of the Holy Spirit as we lead. We're actually learning to walk with him because there's a truth that I can lead in a lot of different ways. I can be incredibly busy. I can be incredibly active. But if I'm not about the Father's business, then what I'm doing is I'm just, I'm, I'm working in my own strength and I'm powerless. But when our vision, when our dreams, when we align with the kingdom, when we align with the Father's plans for us, the breakthrough potential is limitless. It's abundant, is what Scripture says. 
over and over and over again. So I want to start in Exodus chapter 3, and I recognize we're skipping three chapters of Exodus. There's lots of good stuff in there, and I feel like I could preach Exodus for like two years, but you guys would get bored with that. And so we realize we got to do bite-sized chunks. So we're going to skip the first three chapters of Exodus. We're going to jump in in Exodus 3, and I want us to look at leadership lessons from the life of Moses. I want us to talk about how do we get to the promised land that the Father's called us to, how do we invest in the promises that he's given us as a a church, but also as individuals, and how do we discover our vision, our purpose, and how do we walk into the visions that God's called us to. I think it's relevant for everybody, and I'm super fired up about it. So Exodus chapter 3, Moses has been adopted into Pharaoh's house. As he's adopted into Pharaoh's house, he's struggling with his identity. The whole start of the book of Moses is all about Moses sorting out who he is. Um, It's something that adopted kids struggle with a lot, is where do I belong? Who do I belong to? Which family do I belong to? Um, And so Moses is experiencing all of these things. So he's grown up in the Pharaoh's house, which means Moses was trained to lead nations, He received the Harvard education of his time. He was trained by the greatest philosophers, the greatest thinkers, the greatest minds, and he was trained to be a leader of leaders. So we got to understand, he received this education so that he would lead powerfully. He was, there was this stuff that was planted inside of him at a young age that was to be used for the kingdom in the future that he didn't know was for the kingdom. There was investments that had been made in the promises of Moses' life before Moses even realized there was a promise. The same is true for all of us. There have been investments made in you, your circumstances, your life experience, your hurts, your wounds, your victories, your battles, your breakthroughs. All of those have been invested in you for the purpose of the kingdom of the future. They're promises that are going to be brought forth in the future. And so Moses is wrestling with who am I? He knows that he's adopted. He knows that he's an Israelite. He knows what Israel is. He knows what this nation is. He knows that they're God's people, but he sees them as slaves and he sees them being abused and oppressed by his family and by his people. And so one day he, he comes across the slave driver who is beating an Israelite and he, he takes action. He steps in, he fights, and he kills this slave driver. And he hides what he did, and he runs off, and he gets caught in the middle of it. Someone says, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us also, Moses? And then he runs. He runs as far as he can possibly run from Pharaoh's house. And when he runs, what he's actually doing is he's hiding. Scripture is full of lessons of running and hiding. It's the story of Jonah. It's the story of Moses. Over and over and over again, what we see is God calling his people, inviting them into into the kingdom things that he wants to do for their lives, and God's people running and hiding. And so he runs to Midian. And as he goes to Midian, what he does is he becomes a shepherd. Now, a shepherd is the job of a 10-year-old boy. This is not what a Harvard-educated man does, right? This is, Moses is the poster child for not reaching your potential, right? If there was ever somebody that you could look at and say, I thought he was going to become something, but now he's just hitting sheep with a stick. Like, that was what he is. When, when I travel to Kenya or Ethiopia or, or do trips into Africa, you'll, you'll, you'll drive around, you'll, you'll come across this field, and in this field, there'll just be a little boy out there with 40 
sheep and he's just hitting them along with a stick and just guiding them and directing them. This is what Moses is doing. It's not what God had for him. It's not what God invited him into. God had begun stirring his hearts towards making a difference in the life of Israel and what Moses had done is he had run and hidden from the thing that God had for him. And so he's hiding out in the wilderness. And that's where we meet him in chapter three of Exodus. If you want to turn with me, it's Exodus three, chapter one. It says, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to the mountain of God. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the bush not burned? Moses is curious. He's in the middle of the wilderness. He's at the bottom of a mountain. There's a bush that's on fire, which is weird. And Moses says, I love how the Bible is just weirdly direct. I will go look at that bush, right? I'm going to go check this out. Like, what's going on here? And it says, when the Lord saw this, he turned aside to see, and God called out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Can I suggest that these are the moments that everyone in humanity longs for? The moments where the God who created us, the God who spoke life into existence, the God who holds the keys to the kingdom and the authority of heaven and earth in his hands hands calls us by name. The greatest longing inside of all of us is for belonging and purpose. Every human that's ever been built, we want to know who do we belong to and what are we supposed to do? Why are we here? It's the question that philosophers have been wrestling with since the beginning of time. Why are we here? Why were we created? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? And who do we belong to? And suddenly, out of a fiery bush, God calls him by name and says, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. And when he says, here I am, he comes out of hiding. When he says, here I am, he comes out of this place of running from what God's purposes are, and he begins to say, maybe I can step into something. Maybe God is inviting me into something bigger. Maybe I don't have to hide here forever. Maybe there is a purpose and there is a plan for my life that is bigger than the job that I'm working in right now. We have been seeking these holy moments since the day we opened the door for for this church. We want an encounter with God. That's what we want. Every single week, we don't gather here so that we can get some information about him. We don't gather here so we can sing some songs about him. We gather here so we can encounter the presence and power of the living God who is speaking to every single one of us. We show up here wanting him, and we're beginning to see it. Like, I I hear stories every single week of of prayers that were prayed and healing that comes about. I hear stories of of prayers that were prayed and prophetic words that were given and vision comes clear. I'm hearing stories of marriages that are being restored. I'm hearing stories of people who are being rescued from sin that has enslaved them for many, many years, sometimes even decades. We are seeing the kingdom of God break through. We're seeing these burning bush moments, and today I want to stand before you and say to the living God, we want more. 
We want more of your presence. We want more of your power. We want you to call us by name out of our hiding. We want you to invite us into your purposes. We want to know the voice of the shepherd, and we want to walk in the ways that you have invited us into. We want these holy moments. And so when is the last time you had a holy moment? I mean, when's the last time you had a, I got to take off my sandals because I'm standing in in a holy place. When is the last time you can definitively say, the Lord is in this place? Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is here. He's with me. I know this is a holy moment. When's the last time you experienced that? When's the last time you felt that? Because I don't know about you guys, but I want that every day. I want to walk in the power of the risen Savior every single moment of every single day. I want to encounter holy moments. I want moments every single day of my life where I'm like, God, only you, only you could do that. Only you could bring that breakthrough. Only your power, only your strength, only your goodness, only your grace, only your mercy, only you could do this. I want to be in awe of him. I want to be in wonder of what he's doing. I want to see a bush that's burning and it doesn't make any sense except for God's doing something. Over and over and over again, this is the path we're called to walk in. Verse 7, the Lord says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. What God has said so far to Moses is not shocking to anybody. This is how God has acted throughout history. But what God's about to say next is the first time he says something like it. What God's about to say next changes the course of humanity. What God's about to say next is a breakthrough for every single one of us. Because at that time, God had shown up, God had acted, but he had always been the one who does the acting. He had always been the one who does the mission. He had always been the one who holds the power. And suddenly he says this to Moses, so now go, I'm sending you. And suddenly we begin to see God's plan for the redemption of the world. We begin to see how God is going to put the world back together again. How God is going to place us back in the garden and repair everything that's been broken by our sin and by our brokenness. He's going to put everything back together by saying, I am sending you. I'm sending my people. God's answer to the suffering in this world, to the oppression in this world, to the brokenness in this world is he sends us. He sends us us. And that doesn't always work out the way we want to because there's times where I just want God to do the work himself. Like, God, you're powerful. You're mighty. Why don't you just show up? Why don't you just do some kind of zapping, right? Do some kind of, like, breathe on something, God. Just speak a word, God, and why doesn't everything change? And God says, no, 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 no. So now go. I'm sending you. And here's the reality. When the people of God fail to bear fruit, the world goes hungry. When the people of God become so comfortable in their hiding in the desert, 
that they don't experience the voice of the living God calling them by name, the world suffers. Guys, it's, it's no wonder why our country is filled with so much oppression and brokenness and hurting and woundedness all over the place. It's because the people of God have become comfortable out in the desert. We've taken the job of a 10-year-old boy shepherding the sheep when God's called us to be leaders of nations. We've accepted a role of lesser than when God has called us to be his sons and daughters. Our greatest act of obedience becomes showing up to church or eating Chick-fil-A. Sorry, I don't, I don't know where that came from. It's Christian chicken. I, uh, it's, 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 like it's, it's like that's what we do. That's our greatest act of obedience rather than stepping into the difficult things that the Father's called us to. Stepping into the challenging places. His answer to suffering is always us. I, I remember I, like shortly after I was hired at the church as a junior high youth pastor, I was trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with this. I was coaching high school basketball at the time, and, and we had these AAU teams that we would lead every summer, and, and we decided we were going to do a missions trip with our AAU team. I had about five boys that were followers of Jesus on the team, and they really wanted to do a, Mex a Mexico missions trip, and so we went to Chihuahua, Mexico. And I took all these boys, and it was, it was me and a bunch of, like, six-foot-seven freshmen. Like, there was all these huge kids. We had a kid that was six-foot-ten, was a freshman. Um, there was these giant kids, and, and we, we traveled to Mexico, and they had set up all of these games for us to play against. Like, we played against the Mexican national team that was that age. They destroyed us. Um, but we played against all of these great teams, and then the kids would share their faith after the after it was over, and, and they had planned for us to spend a week at an orphanage. And I, I was at that time like 21 years old. I was just starting in ministry. The church was paying me like $6 a, a month uh, to do that. I, 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 had just, I just showed up and, and was doing ministry. I, 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 Sarah and I had not met. I wasn't dating Sarah at that time. And, and I, uh, I, I wasn't planning on getting married anytime soon. Um, nobody was planning on marrying me anytime soon. Sarah had a lot to teach me before I was ready to be married. Um, and... Uh, I walked into this orphanage, and the moment I walked into this orphanage, this little boy, his name was Mario, and for many, many years, I kept the picture of Mario in my office. It's a picture of me holding Mario. Um, it was this little orphan boy. He was probably three years old, two years old, um, and he, maybe a little younger than that even, he came running up to me and just reached his arms up. And the lady who worked there said, he never does that. Like, he's so shy. He has never run to anybody like he's never reached out his arms like that he never wants to interact with groups that come he always hides and for the next week every day I would show up at the orphanage this little boy would run and he'd just latch himself onto me um, his his pants were sagging the whole time and the boys started calling him Mario Busta Sag that was his nickname uh, and his pants were like falling off the whole time and uh, and so this little boy he was the first diaper that I ever changed this little boy. I remember cleaning his face, and I remember just sitting with him and talking with him and playing with him, and, and, and I asked the folks at the orphanage, I just said, like, what's, what's going to happen to him? Like, what are the, what are the, what's the likelihood that he gets adopted? And they said, oh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty slim. There's not much of a chance that he'll be adopted. He'll probably go into foster care, and they start explaining the foster care system and where they were at and how all it was oppressive and all the brokenness in it and how it was, you know, mostly troubled kids who didn't have anybody to guide them or direct them, and it was corrupt and all of these different things. And, and I just remember, I, I went back 
to the house that we were staying at the last night, and I just wept. And I was like, Lord, I would take him home, but I don't think I can do that. I'm, I'm a 20-year-old kid who doesn't even know how to make dinner, right? Like, I, I don't know. But, but what happened there was God started planting in me a heart to adopt. Before I was married, before I had met my daughter Claire, who was adopted from Ethiopia, before I had experienced any of that, God was stirring and he was investing in the promise that he had for me later. He was making deposits in my life towards the promise he had for me later in life. And what he does is he breaks our heart for what breaks his, and we need to pay attention to what breaks our heart. We need to pay attention to the people or the place or the community or, or the issue or the struggle or the battle that God breaks your heart for because he's doing that, because he's calling you to step into something. He's investing in you. He's giving you his heart to see what he sees, to love as he loves, to hear what he hears, and to invest in the way that he invests. And what he does is he invests in those promises in the same way that he invested in Moses' life, and he gave him a heart for the people of Israel. He gave him a heart to see the oppression that was happening. He gave him a heart to see the brokenness that was going on. And later on in his life, 40 years later, when he was hiding out in the desert, and he didn't expect God to show up. God showed up and said, I'm not done with you. God always meets us where we are. He doesn't meet us where we're supposed to be. He doesn't meet us where we want to be. He doesn't meet us when we clean ourselves up. He meets us in the desert when we're carrying around the stick, when we're called to be kings. And he says, I have something for you. And it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be incredible. And if you would just trust me. So where has the Lord broken your heart? Where has he placed a Mario in your life? I, I kept that picture of Mario in my office until the day we adopted Claire. And I replaced that with a picture of Claire. What's that for you? What's the area that God's been breaking your heart? What's the thing that he's called you to and he's inviting you into? What's the step that he's asking you to take? So verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He does what all of us do when we're hiding. We begin to make excuses, right? We begin to tell God all the reasons we can't do what he's called us to. I'm too busy. I, I, I've got too much stuff going on. I don't have enough resources. I, I, I feel like that would just be a drop in the bucket. I feel like I don't actually know what to do. I'm not competent enough. I'm not good enough. I, I'm not strong enough. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And Moses begins this, and God says this. He says, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said again, what, suppose I go to Israel, the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell him? And, Moses, or, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. You say, I am has sent you. And here's the beautiful thing that God does. God doesn't begin calling us into mission by telling us what we're supposed to do. He begins by telling us who he is and who we are. He starts with identity. 
He starts with healing up the parts of our life that have been broken and wounded and meeting us in that space and calling us into a better space. And sometimes this calling feels overwhelming. Sometimes it seems too big. And sometimes where God is sending us or where God is inviting us seems too challenging. And so we would rather live in the desert and we'd rather just check the boxes and do the lowest ever common denominator of what we can do as followers of Christ. I'm just going to check the box I showed up to church on Sunday. I'm going to check the box I read my Bible a little bit. I'm going to check the box I did a service project. I'm going to check the box I sent a nice email to somebody and told them I was praying for them, even though I wasn't praying for them, but I just told them that. Right? We just check the boxes, and we, we settle for box checking instead of the adventure of life with God. We settle for a routine. We settle for laws and rules and regulations instead of the abundance that the Father's invited us to. And he always calls us back to identity. So uh, mission, when we think about spiritual leadership, spiritual leadership is really about two things. It's about power. And it's about love. And what happens oftentimes for us is we understand some cultures of power. Like, we actually know how to lead a little bit. We know how to get something done. We know how to tell people what to do. We know how to be the person that's out front, that's driving the group. Um, sometimes what we know how to do is, well, I've had people say this to me before, I will get stuff done, I'll just leave a wake of bodies in the way, right? Like, I will accomplish the mission that's been set out before me, I just don't know the result of what's going to happen with all the people around me. And so what we learn is we learn to walk in authority without breakthrough. Sometimes we even do this with gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes we even know how to use kingdom authority. We know how to use kingdom power, but we don't necessarily know how to love yet. What we learn is this idea of responsibility. Or we can just say the kingdom. We learn these things. We learn that the, the mission of God, there are people in this room who the mission of God gets you incredibly fired up, right? We're gonna take that ground. We're gonna take that hill. We're gonna do that next thing. God's gonna be with us. Breakthrough's coming. Let's go. And that gets you fired up, right? Some of you, maybe, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm gonna assume that, that that's true. Others of you, you get fired up about the love component. It's not so much about responsibility, it's about relationship with you. And it's not so much about just the kingdom, it's about the covenant relationship that you have with God and with one another. And so you're fired up about all these things, but the problem is when we just have love without authority, what we have oftentimes is we have attachment. We're attached to one another, we're connected to one another, we're affiliated with one another but we're not necessarily doing what God has called us to be. We're not doing anything. There's a lot of churches that can gather together every single week in Jesus' name and love the people that are inside the walls of the church and get their coffee and be comfortable and experience their worship service and never actually go anywhere with the power of God. They just want to sit in the love of God. And what the Father is calling us to do is trust his power. Trust his presence, but also to trust that if we don't love, we don't get breakthrough. You can't get breakthrough for what you don't love. And so what he does is he breaks our heart for what breaks his. 
He teaches us and trains us to love so that we can exhibit his power. What we often try and do is exhibit power without love, and it becomes manipulative, and it becomes coercive, and we leave awake a body in the way. If we don't have love or power, we're just, it's, that's, this is a bad space. We're going to call this anemic, right? There's just nothing good happening here. We're, we're not getting off the ground. Nothing good's happening. We don't have the power of the Holy Spirit working. We don't have love for one another or for who God's called us to, and so we're just living in this anemic state. And what we get when we have power and Love is the kingdom of God will advance. Matthew 11 says the kingdom of God is forcefully, I love that word, forcefully advancing and forceful men take hold of it. The kingdom of God is advancing. And the question is how many of us will step out of our desert hiding and forcefully take hold of the calling that God has for our life. Because when we do, what he does is he teaches us how to love and he gives us his power. He teaches us how to have his heart for his people. But he calls us and gives us authority and power that comes from outside of ourselves. He gives us the ability to have breakthrough. There is power and there is posture. And for God, identity always comes before competency. He didn't say to Moses, I need you to learn these 45 skills and then I'm going to send you. He didn't say, I need you to go to seminary and get your Bible degree and when you do, I'm going to send you. He didn't say, I need you to work out a little bit because you're getting a little flabby, Moses. Like he said, I am sending you and I will give you all that you want. If they ask who sent you, I sent you. Sometimes what we want is we want God to give us like a Holy Spirit pep talk. We want him to show up in that moment and look at us and say, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. But, but what God does is he doesn't give us that pep talk. He doesn't make it about us. He makes it about him. He says it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I'll make you to be. It doesn't matter who you believe you are. You are a beloved son and daughter of the Most High. It doesn't matter if you think there's not enough in you. You are an ambassador. You are a spokesperson for the kingdom. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are called by him, and he has anointed every single follower of Jesus with the Holy Spirit, his helper. And so we want him to give us a pep talk about how great we are. And he says, I don't need to tell you who you are. I need to tell you who I am. Because if you trust me, power is available. If you walk with me, I'll teach you how to love. And I promise you, the kingdom will advance. We need to know who we are before we know what to do. And so many of us are stuck hiding because we don't know who we are. We're stuck hiding because we still don't know where we belong, because we still don't believe the words that the Father's given us, because we still don't trust in our identity. We still feel like we've got to earn something from him or prove something to him, and we haven't just received the grace and mercy that he has for us that says, I love you exactly where you are, even when you're in the desert. So Moses, God gives him some specific instructions, and Moses begins with some more excuses. In Exodus 4.1, he says, uh, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen? What if they say the Lord didn't appear to you? In 4.10, he says, pardon your servant, which is like when people say, no offense, and you know they're about to say something offensive, right? <laughs> it's that, that's, that's a really good backhanded compliment that pastors get. Pastors are like, they get lots of backhanded compliments, but the no offense one's one of my favorites. No offense, 
Or, please take this the right way. And I'm like, oh, you're about to say something nasty. Uh, that's, that's how you know. Um, but boy, for Tim, pardon your servant, but I've never been eloquent. I've never been, uh, neither in the past nor since I've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. He's like, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And then finally, in 4.13, he actually gets to the heart of the matter. And he says, pardon your servant. No offense, God, but just send somebody else. <laughs> Isn't that what we all do? God's inviting us into something. He's calling us to step out in faith. He's pushing us out of our comfort zones, and we're sitting in our desert space saying, I don't know, God. I don't know if I'm enough. That's why I love the song we sang this morning. I'm not enough unless you come. Like on our own, the truth is we are powerless. Like if I'm just randomly, arbitrarily choosing things to step into and saying, God, maybe you're in this, I'm going to have a lack of power. The scripture says that when we align with the kingdom of God, when our asks and our desires and our wants align with the kingdom of God, then we can ask for anything and he'll show up. We ask, we seek, and we knock, and he shows up, and he's at the door ready to answer. So when we say, God, we want breakthrough for these oppressed people who are hurting, God says, yes and amen, I want to show up there. Who will go? When we say, I'm tired of this culture of oppression and brokenness, God says, I want to show up there. We say we're tired of, 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 of cancer, when we're tired of, of hurting people, when we're tired of divorce, when we're tired of brokenness, when we're tired of loss of relationships, when we're tired of loneliness, when we're tired of racism, when we're tired of all of these things, God says, I'm sending you to be my ambassador, to be my spokesperson, to step into the place that God has called us because God doesn't simply want to reveal his authority through us. He wants to teach us to trust his authority. He doesn't want us to be pawns in some kind of game that he plays where he sends us out to be used and martyred. He has this beautiful plan where we walk with him and we learn to be like him in the process. He invites us into his stuff because he trusts us, because he believes in us, because he's a good God. And every good leader does this. Think about any corporation, think about any sports team, any, any coach, any manager, any business leader. Great leaders know how to hand off authority. And so does our Father in heaven. He is the model of giving authority, and he gives us authority before we're ready for it. He gives us authority before we know what to do with it. He gives us authority before we even know what's going on. And all of a sudden, he's like, let's do this together. So here's what God does. Moses has a million excuses, a million different reasons of why he can't do it. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a staff. And this staff is going to be a reminder of my power and my strength. And as long as you carry this staff, you will be reminded that my power and my presence is with you. Jesus, before he left said, I am going to send you a staff. It is my helper. It is the Holy Spirit who will dwell not just around you. You don't have to carry a stick around. Who will dwell with you, inside of you, and the Holy Spirit will be your helper. And so when you're in this desert space and you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say and you don't know where to go and you feel like you're not, not enough, the Holy Spirit says, I'm enough and I'm with you and I will give you the words to say. I will give you the, the, the resources you need. I will give you the time that you hope for and I will teach you and train you as you go. Just trust me and put one foot after the other. 
And then he does this. This is even more beautiful. I love the beauty of Scripture. He doesn't just give him a staff with authority and power. He also says, Moses, if you're not a good speaker, I'm going to send Aaron with you. Because Aaron can speak. And Aaron's a good teacher. And so I'm going to send Aaron with you. So I'm not just sending you with my authority. I'm not just sending you with my power. I'm sending you with my people. That's why the church matters so much. That's why what we're doing in here matters so much. That's why we want to create a, a, a culture where we become a dream factory because we can't do those things alone. There are visions in this room right now that are being birthed that you cannot accomplish on your own, that you can't do in your own strength and in your own power, that you need people walking beside you. You need people urging you on. You need people calling gifts out of you. You need people helping you in so many different ways. That Why Do I Worry song is my favorite song to sing before I preach every time. Because there's never been a time where I've stepped in this pulpit and I felt like I've had enough. There's never been a moment where I'm up here and I'm like, I am fully prepared. I am 100% ready. This is going to be amazing. You can ask my wife. Every time I'm like, this is going to suck. I have no idea what I'm going to say. This is going to be rough. I just, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will show up. Like, there's never a moment. And so I love that. I love having that space to just say, like, when I don't have enough, you're enough. Because I live it out five minutes later. And I want to call you to do the same thing. In your own context, in your own world, where is God calling you to live it out? What's the burning bush said to you? What's he invited you into? What's he called you to? What's he pushing you towards and inviting you towards? Since day one, we have said at this church, we want to awaken kingdom dreams. We've been praying that there would be like a Holy Spirit power that stirs in us dreams for the kingdom. We've been praying that God will call you to start things in the community that are going to change the life of this community. We want to partner with you in that. We don't want to just say the church is going to do a bunch of fun stuff. We want to say we're all doing fun stuff. Like I love it that our house churches are stepping into this stuff. Our house churches are doing some amazing and incredible things, stepping into places on mission, loving the elementary schools and, and, and caring for the poor and the broken. There's so many good things happening in those spaces, but we want more. We're building a park out here. It's happening. We've got plans for it. We've got diagrams for it. We know how much it costs. We're starting to talk to people to raise money for it. We've got fun announcements coming up in a few weeks. But we started praying a few months ago or, or about a year ago, actually, and the burning bush that showed up for us was like, I don't want you to fix this building up. But God, we, over in our desert, but God, we'd like indoor bathrooms, right? <laughs> but God, we'd there's, there's, there's other things that we could fix, like the, the roof is falling, like there's all these different things that we could, and God says, no, I, I want you to build something for the community. I want you to create a space where you can actually live out the mission that I've called you to. I want you to create a space where people who aren't inside the church are going to be hanging out every day, and people who are inside the church get to go out and love them and care for them and do the things that we're actually talking about every single day. We're going to create an environment and a space where your house church, where your family, where your community, where you by yourself can go out to that park every single week and meet people in this community who need the love and support of Jesus Christ and can meet them and care for them in that space. And we've been praying about planning a church. We, we targeted all these spaces a few, 
uh, about six months ago at Pentecost, we, we, we decided on there's all these different spaces where we think maybe God is calling and we think maybe God is stirring. And so the Grace family has started praying about where are you calling us next and what are you inviting us to? And our church has felt this like special passion towards Chattanooga. I don't know why, but there's been this kind of excitement around here. Every time we talk about it, everybody's like, well, I'll leave Marietta and go to Chattanooga if you're doing that. And I'm like, well, let's not do that, but let's keep talking about it, right? And, and, and everybody's been so fired up about it, and so we've started talking to Midtown. Midtown is the church that actually planted us. And so four years ago, Midtown had a vision for a church in Marietta, and they invited some leaders into that space, and we started praying, and we started showing up in this community, and we started a house church, and, and things started stirring, and four years later, we're building a park. And so my prayer is that four years later, we're building a park somewhere in Chattanooga, that four years later, we're moving to two services in Chattanooga, that four years later, we've planted something, we've invested in the promise that the Father spoke through the burning bush, and we've stepped out, and we've given sacrificially, and we've given of our time, and we've given of our resources, and we've self-sacrificially loved the city of Chattanooga in such a way that there's a thriving ministry that's there. That's the vision for us corporately, but that's not even scratching the surface of what we can all do. Like imagine what a church can do that is unleashed. We had almost 400 people in here last week. Imagine 400 people listening to the voice of God who's calling them to the places where there are people hurting and broken and imagine the impact we could have in this community. Imagine the breakthrough that could come. Imagine the wins for the kingdom. Imagine the beauty and the glory that God would receive if we're all about his business and walking with him. And so today, I just want to say really, really clearly, we want more burning bushes. I want to say really clearly, we want to encounter the power of the living God every single week, and we want him to speak to us and call us into spiritual leadership. And I want to invite every single person in this room to step out of hiding and say, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here for it, God. I don't know. I don't know what next week holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the five-year plan is, but I'm here for it today. And whatever you're inviting me into, just let it be. Yes and amen. And so here's how we're going to wrap up the service. It was awesome in the first service we just want to create some space. When I was a kid, uh, I went to Salem Church of God in Dayton, Ohio, and they had these big, giant carpet altars with like the, they had really nice carpeted knee pads and everything. And every time at the last song, what would happen is the church would just, people would just come forward and they would just bow at the altars. And it was so amazing because the people that loved them would come for them. And so like a friend who we knew was sick would come forward and then we would all come forward. I can remember my parents going to the altar and praying for friends and me just like awkwardly standing there and putting my hand on somebody because I didn't really know what we were doing, but it was just what we did as a church. I remember just, we just created space for us to respond to God and there was something about coming forward and just saying, I'm in. Like I, I, I'm humble enough to, to step up in front of everybody. I'm humble enough to get on my knees. I'm humble enough to ask of the Lord. And so today, we just want to open up this space in the front here for whoever wants to come, just to come. And maybe you need to say, Lord, like, I just haven't heard you, from you forever, and I just need a burning bush in my life. Maybe you need to say, I, like, I've been hiding, and I know that I've been hiding, but I, 
need you to call me out of hiding. Maybe you know exactly what God's called you to and you're terrified of it. You're afraid of the next step. You're afraid of what it's going to cost and you just need to say, I need you to grow my faith today. I need you to lift up my faith and give me a little hope for what's next. But today, I just want us to come just in the presence of God and just simply say, Lord, I'm, I'm here. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Whatever it is you're inviting me into, whatever it is you're calling me to, whatever it is you're asking me to do, here I am. We've got communion stations set up on the side here and in the back. So we'll take communion, and as we take communion, I just want to invite you to come. I'm going to pray, and the band's going to sing. But I want us to be praying as we walk through this series. I want us to be praying that the God who created the world would speak, that he would speak vision, that he would speak dreams, that he would start new ministries, that he would call us to the things that he wants us to be about, that he would give us a new imagination of how to love and serve and care for this community. And so will you pray for that with me? Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would speak. We are fully submitted to your kingdom, to your authority, to your power. We pray that you would give us more power than we could ever imagine, even when we're not ready for it. We pray that you would give us more love than our hearts can handle. We pray that you would teach us to, to love and to work in power. And I pray that you would give a Holy Spirit anointing to anybody that comes forward. Give them power. Give them strength. Give them vision. Give them understanding. Give them clarity. And I pray that you would teach us to be a people who are done hiding and done checking boxes and are ready to simply step up and say, here I am, Lord. And so here we are, Father. Here we are, Holy Spirit. Meet us here. Give us new vision. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.